verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Thank you, Evan. Y'all don't know, but I just thought of asking him to do that a few minutes ago, so that, that was pretty good on short notice. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're glad you're here. I want to welcome you personally and uh, thank you for choosing to, to worship with us. I know there are lots of choices, and we're thrilled that you chose to be with us and that, that you chose to be here this morning. Um, if you are just joining us, we're in the midst of a series we're calling Rediscovering Jesus. Um, the idea is that we are going to hopefully see Jesus in a fresh light. Um, and, and we'll dive into that in a, in a moment. Um, if you are visiting with us, you are invited to lunch. Um, one of the things that we like to do is, is to eat. We're good at it. And uh, so we'd like to share that with you. You're invited to lunch in our fellowship hall. Visitors, new members, college students, if you would like to uh, uh, come join us for a meal, it's an opportunity for the, the people, the members of this congregation to connect with you. It's a good way for you to plug in, start to feel at home in this body, which is what we want to happen. Last week, we, we talked about the baptism of Jesus, and we talked about how Jesus didn't didn't need repentance. Jesus didn't need forgiveness. So why was he baptized? We talked about how baptism was not new to a Jew. The idea of the Jewish mikvah, the, the ritual immersion, was something that had been around for a long time. And one of the reasons that someone would, would participate in a ritual immersion in the Jewish mikvah was the high priest before he was to uh, uh, place the sins of the nation on the scapegoat at the Day of Atonement, he would immerse himself in a Jewish in, in a mikvah in a in a in a baptism, and and after he was cleansed, then he could take the sins of the nation and put them on the goat. And so we talked about how it was symbolic. For Jesus to, to be immersed in that way, that what he was doing was more than just being baptized. The, the priest then would take those sins, as, as Evan just read to us in, in Leviticus, and, and symbolically place them on that goat. And then someone would lead that goat into the wilderness. It would be sent out into the wilderness to Azazel. Now, in Jewish legend, Azazel is one of the leaders of the rebellious watchers. He is, in the time preceding the flood, supposedly, according to legend, this is the demon that taught men the art of warfare, of making swords, of, of, of uh, taught women the art of deception by, by ornamenting their body, dyeing their hair. He was uh, the, the one who knew the secrets of witchcraft and taught them to men. He was uh, guilty of leading humans into impurity, into, uh, into sin, um, until finally, according to legend, he was bound hand and foot and, and chained in a dungeon in utter darkness in the wilderness until the great day of judgment when he would be cast into the eternal fire. 
And last week we talked about Jesus being that high priest. And, and at the same time, also being the scapegoat for the Day of Atonement. That He was going to bear the sins, not just of the nation of Israel, but of the world. The sins of the world would be placed upon Him. And so it's only fitting that immediately following His immersion, Matthew 4, Luke 4, and Mark 1 all talk about Him being led into the wilderness. And so if you're a Jew and you're hearing this story for the first time, that pops into your head. You immediately make that connection to the Day of Atonement, to the scapegoat, to Jesus being the scapegoat. And and as He is led into the wilderness, the wilderness in the first century is a mysterious and horrible place. It It is a place of demons. It is a place of chaos. It's a place that they're terrified of. It's a stronghold in their minds of evil dominions. It's a place to be avoided at all costs. And one of the reasons is because it is the realm of Azazel. Yet spiritually, it was also a part of the history of the children of Israel. That that Moses had fasted for 40 days in the wilderness before he received the law on Sinai. That Elijah would travel 40 days in the wilderness before he uh, came to meet with God. And of course, the Israelites themselves, the nation of Israel, would wander for 40 years in the wilderness because of their inability to trust, have faith in God. And so Jesus, this final scapegoat, This ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice of atonement is led into the wilderness where He will be tried, tempted, and tested for 40 days. And we've all heard this story, right? If you've grown up in church like I did, you heard this story preached and taught and and you've heard it your whole life. And you've heard that that it was all about the temptation and, and, and how that affects us, right? It's okay, you can nod. It's, it's not, there's no sin in nodding. Um, that, 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 that's how, that was something that affected us. We've heard that our whole life. We've heard, yield not to temptation. You remember the old hymn, right? Yield not to temptation. Why? Do we need to sing it? Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you, some other to win. Fight manfully onward, dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus. He will carry you through. Ask the Savior to help you. Comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. Good job with no notes. I'm proud of you. Do you remember what the temptations were in the song, in the hymn? Do you remember? It's the second verse. Yeah, I don't have it up there. We, we, I wasn't prepared. I, this is off script. Evil companions, right? Bad language. Taking the Lord's name in vain. Lying, being cruel or disrespectful. These are the ones that the hymn mentions. There's more, I'm sure, but you, you get the idea. And growing up, that was connected to this story. When I heard this story preached of Jesus being tempted, 
But the, the big ones, when I was growing up, the ones we heard about the most, apparently, if you're a teenager judging the times in the 80s, the biggest sins in Jasper, Texas were, based on what I heard preached, divorce, improper worship, and rock and roll music. I'm just saying. That's what I heard about the most. And, and, and we also heard that, that these sins, evil companions, bad language, um, um, being rude, cruel, disrespectful, those were all things that, that were temptations that we would fall into. To put it succinctly, don't drink, don't chew, and don't run around with girls who do. That was, that was what I was told. And that's what we grew up hearing. But when you read this story, is that what Satan tempts Jesus with? Does he tempt Jesus to use profanity? Does he tempt Jesus to take the Lord's name in vain? I've heard this story preached my whole life. And, and I've heard that if I was only strong enough like Jesus... If I only memorized enough Scripture like Jesus, if I was only righteous enough, pious enough, strong enough, then I too could stand against Satan's temptations. And, and while I think all that's true, memorizing Scripture is a great way for us to stave off temptations. I think we're missing a bigger picture. There's so much more to this. And... Quite honestly, quite bluntly, Jesus' temptations in the wilderness are not about me. I like to read the Bible and make it about me, but it's not. Jesus' temptations in the wilderness are much bigger than just me. See, those sermons that I'm talking about, that I heard about, about if I was just strong enough, if I just knew enough Scripture, if I was just righteous enough, if I was just pious enough... Those sermons were about me. They were about myself. They were about what I could do. How righteous I can be. And I'm not sure that Satan didn't like those sermons. Because if you read the gospel accounts, that's precisely the temptation that Satan uses on Jesus. Make it about you. He doesn't tempt Jesus to curse. He doesn't tempt Jesus to take God's name in vain, to drink or to chew. He, he doesn't tempt Jesus in those ways, but He does tempt Jesus to put all His faith, all His effort, all His focus on Himself. Anton LaVey, who wrote the Satanic Bible and was the leader of Satanism in America, once famously said that we don't worship Satan, we worship ourselves. The ultimate temptation of Satan is to get us to make it all about me. Think about it. The first temptation that Satan uses on Jesus is indulge yourself. Indulge yourself. That's the first great temptation. If it feels good, do it. If you're hungry, indulge yourself. If you're thirsty, indulge yourself. And ultimately, you and I face this temptation just as much, don't we? If we're honest with ourselves, eat what you want, drink what you want, drink as much as you want, eat as much as you want, get as high as you want, get as drunk as you want, indulge yourself. God made it all, right? I mean, sex is natural, so indulge yourself as much or anywhere in any way you want to. 
Indulge yourself. And then you can give God whatever is left. After you have indulged yourself, you can give God the leftovers. The leftovers of my strength. The leftovers of my heart. The leftovers of my life. Leftovers of my money. The leftovers of everything. Because it's all mine. I worked hard for this. I'm independent. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. God didn't give me this. It's all about me. And you know, there's nothing wrong with me taking care of me. I have to take care of number one because nobody else is going to, right? I mean, surely God doesn't want me to go hungry. Well, maybe sometimes He does. One of our biggest temptations is ourselves. The indulgence of ourselves. Giving ourselves whatever we want, whenever we want. We have to admit, when we try to make Jesus' temptations about me, there's no way. There's no way I could even compare to that. I mean, let's be honest. I challenged this church a couple of weeks ago to fast for an hour on Mondays. I'm not going to make you raise your hand if you did it or not. But think about it. Most of us couldn't even do that. Forty days. Forty days in the wilderness. And we try to compare ourselves. We can't even do an hour on a Monday. I'm not dissing on us. I'm not being hard on us. But I'm saying we cannot compare ourselves to Jesus because the temptation is to put ourselves first. Indulge yourself, your ego, your piety, your superiority. If we're honest, there's no way. We're much more like Peter and the apostles who couldn't stay awake for an hour than we are like Jesus who fasted for 40 days. But that's why we need the scapegoat, right? The second temptation he gives him is do it yourself. Do it yourself. We like to be, pull myself up by my own bootstrap, self-made, independent people. We like to do it ourselves. And you know, so what if I don't exactly follow God's plan? All that matters is the outcome, right? But, but this is another one of Satan's temptations. Again, focused on myself. Do it your way. doesn't matter about God's way. As long as it gets done, who cares? Well, God does. God cares. Satan offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. All their glory, all their splendor, all their authority and power. Now, you know what's scary to me in this? Jesus doesn't refute that that's His to offer. You notice that? Jesus doesn't say that's not yours, you can't offer that. Jesus agrees that all the kingdoms of the world belong to Satan. That's scary, right? Because if you look around us, if I look around us at churches today in 21st century America, we have confused the kingdom of God with the United States of America. I'm sorry. It's not a popular statement, but the United States of America is not the kingdom of God. And so, when we get those two confused, we're falling back into that same trap. Now, I'm not here to preach about worshiping the flag. That's not the point. The point is that Satan is telling him, if you do it yourself, forget about God's plan. God's plan involves pain. It involves suffering. It involves submission. Make it, do it your own way. Do it yourself. All you've got to do 
is submit to me. Just, just bend a knee just a little bit, and it's all yours. This is what you came for, right? So why go through all that pain? Why go through all that suffering? Why do this thing God's way when I can just give it to you? It's easy. Take the easy way, Jesus. Do it yourself. But see, there's no easy way. There's no easy way out. Regardless of what Satan offers, there's no such thing as cheap grace. There's no easy atonement, and Jesus knew that. The third is to prove yourself. Matthew 4, 3, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, 4, 6, And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Luke 4, 3, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, Luke 4, 9, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. If you are the Son of God, then do this. If you are the Messiah, prove yourself. Prove it. If you are. Prove your worth. Prove your value. Prove you are who you say you are. Prove your lineage. Step up. Prove yourself. That one still gets us today as well, too. You hear people say, if you are a Christian, you'll do this. Or if you are a Christian, you wouldn't do that. Prove yourself. Prove your worth. Are you a truly a child of God? If so, you need to prove yourself because we struggle with that. We struggle with the idea that God so loved us, He redeemed us with no conditions. We want to put rules and regulations on it. We want stipulations. We want a measurement. If you are a Christian, you will fill in the blank, right? You'll attend church weekly. You'll be part of a small group. You'll sing and worship in a certain way. You will not sing and worship in a different way. You will repent. You will confess. You will live a holy life. You won't drink or chew or go with girls who do. If it's the same temptation. The list goes on and on. We can fill in the blank with whatever we want to fill in the blank with. But when we put ourselves in the place reserved for God, it's the oldest temptation in the world. If. In the garden, what temptation does Satan use? If you take of this fruit, you'll be like God. Prove yourself. Do it yourself. Make it all about yourself. It's the same temptation he's used since the beginning because it works. It works well. Jesus overcomes these temptations, though. He, he, he beats Satan on his own home turf. How? Well, it's not scripture memorization that led Jesus to this victory. It's not church attendance or piety or any of that stuff. It's trusting God. It's trusting God and not yourself. Listen to Jesus' answers. Man shall not live, man shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What does that say? Trust God. And not yourself. You shall worship and serve only God. Trust God and not yourself. You shall not put the Lord to the test. Trust God and not yourself. Jesus defeats Satan on his home turf by trusting God and not himself. By putting God first and not himself. So... If you're here this morning and, and you came in feeling like you were in the wilderness, 
let me just say to you, welcome. We're, we're happy you're here. This is where God wants you. Because there are two things that, that we need to see about the wilderness. First, is that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, right? The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. So if you are here this morning and you feel like you're in the wilderness, you may be just exactly where God wants you to be. That's scary, but it's true. The Spirit led Jesus in the wilderness because that's where God wanted Him. Sometimes we are in the wilderness because that's where God wants us. Because that's where He finally gets our attention. Whether it's Moses or Elijah, whether it's David or Jesus, the greatest works of God begin in the wilderness. The wilderness is a sacred place. So if you're in the wilderness this morning, Maybe you're exactly where God wants you. And second, the only way out, the only way to navigate your way out of the wilderness is to trust God and not yourself. That's the message. That's the call. That's the path that Jesus would have us follow. Trust God and not yourself. Don't trust your desires, your wants, or your needs. Don't trust in your plans or your programs or your ideas. Don't trust in your own piety, in your own goodness, in your own righteousness, in your own ability to do it yourself. Trust God. Trust God and not yourself. That's the message of Jesus' time in the wilderness. That's the message to you and I today. If we want to follow Him, if we want to follow Him through the Jordan, if we want to follow Him into the wilderness, if we want to follow Him into eternity, we have to trust God and not yourself. If you're in the wilderness and you're here this morning, that's the call on your heart right now. What you're feeling, what you're hearing, is the Holy Spirit working on you. The Holy Spirit is saying to you, it's time to quit driving the car. It's time to quit doing it your way because you see where your way's got you. It's time to do it God's way. Trust God and not yourself. We're going to sing a song right now, and the reason we sing that song is to give you an opportunity to do just that. Trust God and not yourself. Let us help you. Let us lift you up in prayer. Let us help connect you to the only power that can save you from the wilderness. The only power that can stand against the forces of evil. The only power that matters in this world. Trust God and not yourself right now.